0: Well, Andrew and Eileen, I understand you're going to be leaving us. How soon is that going to happen? Probably in the next uh, week and a half to two weeks. Okay. So all the preparations have been made, and things are going to... All of a sudden, you're going to be going north. As they say, they used to say, go west, young man. You're, they're, now it's being said, go north. So you're going to be going north to Weimar. Now, we're going to talk more about that in just a little bit. I'm not going to get into that right this minute, but... One of the things I wanted to talk about, a lot of people know you, but they may not know all about your background. And I'd like, uh, you know, some things. You, I know you're both graduates of Loma Linda University. And uh, obviously, health care and our, the right arm of our, our message um, was very important to both of you as, as you trained. So Andrew, tell us, what, what was your training in at, at Loma Linda? Uh,
1: my training was as a medical doctor and also master's in public health in health promotion and health education.
0: Okay. And Eileen?
2: I got my master's in public health and nutrition.
0: Okay. So, and you are also a registered dietitian, is that correct? Yes. Okay. So nutrition and medicine has been now, because they have, uh, you know, they have not been highly visible in that arena. In fact, there's a lot of people that would have liked to have come to you, Andrew, for a doctor. But because you were working at Kaiser and they didn't have Kaiser insurance, you haven't been able to actually see too many of the patients that that would have liked to have come to see you, which... Maybe good, maybe bad. I don't know. But in any event, uh, that's where you have prepared yourselves and trained. And 20 years ago, when you came to Fallbrook, um, you were just fairly new, out of residency, if I recall.
1: About a year and a half out okay, of residency. Okay.
0: Well, I want to go back even further than that and talk about where you two met. Where did you two meet? Eileen, tell us where you met.
2: We met in the Crater classroom as Babies
0: <laughs>
2: at the Los Angeles Central Japanese SDA Church.
0: Okay. Now, is anybody else here can say that you met your spouse in cradle roll? Anybody? No? Okay. Okay. So in cradle roll, you met. Now, how long did you live forever there together? or did there? Andrew, what was the separation that happened after that? Uh,
1: my family moved away from Los Angeles when I was seven, almost going on eight. Okay. And so, yeah. So we knew each other for... Five-ish years. But
2: we don't remember each
0: other. Yeah, no. Oh, 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 okay. You knew each other, but you it don't wasn't remember love each other. It, it wasn't love at first sight. It was, oh, okay. <laughs> at no. least not that first sight. Okay, not that first sight. Okay. So uh, you met there. Now, Eileen, just, just briefly, I want you to share some of the highlights of your early years as a, a young Christian girl.
2: Um, I don't know. So I, I was born at the White Memorial Medical Center. And grew up in San Gabriel um, to an Adventist family. um, Went to San Gabriel Academy for 12 years. Typical Adventists, you know, baptized at the age of 12 and Pathfinders and nothing really extraordinary. (laughs) Other
0: than the fact that you were born at the Ellen G. White Memorial Hospital, that's pretty (laughs) Adventist, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Um, You know, and 12 years at san gabriel academy that's okay that's fairly remarkable i would say andrew about you tell us about your early early uh highlights of your of your childhood and okay well i was born in glendale so and again not not
1: so not so great as the the white (laughs) memorial uh moved to hawaii as we mentioned earlier so i spent my formative years there from you know probably age eight to eighteen and uh Aventus family, uh, went to Hawaiian Mission Elementary School, Hawaiian Mission Academy. Um, one of my best jobs I ever had was really when I was given responsibility as a junior in high school uh, to work at the Aventus Book Center. And uh, the um, manager um, hired me on the recommendation of the previous young man that had been working there and was graduating going on to college. And uh, then he promptly left for the summer, well, left completely. He quit and left and just left myself and the, uh, the cashier bookkeeper to run the store for three months until the new manager came. But that was a good experience because I guess that was my first experience with, um, you know, I guess uh, a lot of the spectrum of Adventism. And I used to play ping-pong with the conference president at lunchtime. Um, but, you know, I think it's important for young people to see their leaders as human.
3: That's
0: right.
1: And they see the, the joys and the struggles. And uh, that, that was a good experience for me.
0: Okay. Now, Andrew, after so 18, you come back. And, and what's, what's happening next?
1: Went to Pacific Union College Okay. and uh, uh, went as a student missionary. Which, again, young people, if you ever have the opportunity to go as a student missionary or take some other kind of gap year, absolutely do it sometime during your college years. I think that's where I probably learned the most and grew the most in college was during that year. Okay. I like to say it was the best year of my life, before marriage, of course.
0: Okay. Now, where, where did you go as a student missionary, Andrew?
1: I went to Japan.
0: What did, oh, well, why should I be surprised? Japanese Americans want to go back? Did you learn the language while you were back there?
1: Uh, not really. <laughs>
0: Okay. I was supposed to
1: teach English, and so I took my job seriously. Oh, okay, okay.
0: Now, Eileen, did you go to PUC as well? Yes, I did. Okay, so the cradle roll or origins reconnected at PUC, is that right? Okay, so tell us... uh, Now, um, I just mentioned that you have both of you are Japanese-American heritage. Now, I believe, if I recall correctly, that that is a culture that just a generation or two back was very much involved in a unique marriages, a, new, a unique marriage arrangement. And tell us when you first got together and how you started dating, and then when you got married, tell us how that, how that worked. Go ahead, Eileen. You can start.
2: <laughs> well, so we met at PUC, and I, uh, we were dating about three years. Mm-hmm. And then um, one, di- one day I was in the car with my dad. And he goes, you know, the Japanese tradition is um, Andrew's dad is supposed to ask me, talking about my dad, for um, permission to get married. And I go, oh, really? (laughs) And so I had no idea, so I told Andrew.
1: Who was very happy about that. (laughs) I didn't have to go face the in-law, you know. (laughs) So when I told my dad, he broke out in a cold sweat. (laughs)
0: Okay. (laughs) He wasn't ready to let you go or he was just nervous about having to do that? He was nervous about having to go do that. Okay. Okay. So he was nervous. So tell me, did he overcome his nervousness? He did overcome
1: his nervousness because we obviously did get married okay, with their blessings.
0: So so it was almost, it wasn't a totally arranged marriage. I mean, you got to arrange the marriage and you guys had a big part in it, but your dads cut the deal. Is that right?
1: That's right. Our dads cut the deal.
0: How many, anybody else here can say that your dads cut the deal for your marriage? Anybody? Okay. No, you can't. Is that a good idea for the future? You have two young daughters out here that are beautiful. Is that something, is that a Japanese-American tradition you're going to continue in your family, Andrew?
1: You know, it's not Japanese-American. It's actually, we have principles in the Christian uh, side that parents should be heavily involved. Um, And I'll let the kids speak for themselves with a nod if they have studied that and believe that or not. We'll see. Are they going to nod?
0: Yes. I'm looking. I'm looking. Okay. There's, okay. That's, you know, I, and I tell you, it's, it's a wonderful thing when the parents are involved. Now, because of the mishmash of my own, you know, I've, I always say that, you know, you can say you're Japanese American. I can say that I'm the Heinz 57 of every mix of, of, and I imagine most people would say the same thing. So those traditions got, you know, uh, kind of watered down, I think, in our lives. But it's a wonderful thing in having parents involved. And Karen's and my family, our parents have been very involved, even though they didn't cut the deal. I admire that. I think that is an awesome thing. And uh, obviously, uh, you've been married now for how many years? Uh oh. I maybe shouldn't have asked that question.
1: <laughs> Adam up. It will be 28 years. Okay. This July.
0: Okay. 28 years. And so it's worked. It has been a good, solid thing for you. Now, you came to Fallbrook about 20 years ago. What made you decide to come to Fallbrook?
1: Uh, I knew my parents wanted to retire in the San Diego area. Okay. So that's was part of it.
2: And my parents still live in San Gabriel. So okay. we just wanted to be
0: closer to family. Now, you, had, you, had, you were actually doing a residency in Northern California at the time?
1: No, actually, when I finished residency, did residency <laughs> in Florida at the Florida oh. Hospital. Oh, okay. And uh, the first job I took was uh, at our Adventist Hospital in Ukiah okay and uh, so um, but then something happened that kind of told us two things happened that told us that we needed to kind of move closer to family
0: and tell us what those were well
1: one was eileen's breast cancer because she got breast cancer at a very young age and uh, the health issues involved there we realized how much we needed to be the help of family um, and be close to family and the other thing was my dad had a same year, my dad had a heart attack and a five-vessel bypass. So after those two things in the same year, okay. we decided that it would probably be a good idea to be close to where our parents are going to be for the future because they, either we or they might need help.
0: Okay, so family is something that was very, very important to you. Now, obviously, you had extended families that were around you, aunts, uncles, moms, dads. But you didn't have your own family yet. You were starting... You were. Trying to get that started and probably, be, you know, and, and I want to just pause before I go there. The C word. This morning in our prayer time, we talked about people that have had cancer and um, we have a cancer survivor here and praise God for that, but that's a challenge that when people face, it can be a really difficult time, but God can get us through whatever challenge we've got.
1: Yeah, I think we should highlight that, you yeah. know, because um, my partner is the one who um, we had three people in the office, uh, myself, uh, another family doc, and then we had an ob in our office. So it was the ob who actually made the diagnosis, um, And uh, he wimped out and told me, and wanted me to go home and tell my wife about the diagnosis, <laughs> which was, you know, if you're a professional, don't ever do that, guys, okay? Or gals. Um, and it was hard for me because I had just been taking care of a, a cancer patient in the hospital who was dying of breast cancer at a very young age. So there was a lot of transference going on in my heart. And I have to say I was the one that probably was more devastated at the moment. Um, it was a 10-minute, 15-minute drive home. I was crying the whole way home, trying to figure out how I'm going to tell Eileen this. How is. old were you both at that time?
2: Um, I was 31.
0: Okay. So? so. Yeah. So
2: Andrew's right, 32.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that's that's a tough thing at age in the early thirties to experience, and and okay, so you're on your way home, and it's a very emotional time.
1: Yeah, but you know, it was beautiful to see Eileen's response. Um, she was very strong, just kind of okay. And um, I don't remember if we prayed at the moment or what we did that, but uh, the key thing was. Um, you know, I had a restless night, but somebody slept like a rock next to me.
2: <laughs> yeah, of course, when you, you first hear that, um, you don't know if you're going to die. Um, questions like that. But I just left everything up to God, and I didn't lose a single night of sleep ever.
0: That's trust. That's trust and a wonderful example. So the next morning when you woke up, Eileen, then now what?
2: Yeah, I guess um, we investigated different modes of treatment and decided ultimately to do a mastectomy. And um, we were fortunate that the cancer was caught very early. It was very small, and um, it hadn't spread anywhere, so that, that was it. The surgery was the treatment.
0: Okay, that's wonderful. But you faced that in a young, at a young age, and at that particular time was just the two of you. And you obviously, uh, as you're coming to Fallbrook because of family, you also are wanting to start your own family. And that was causing you some challenges as well.
1: Yeah, that, that was a journey that had started a number of years before um, for anybody here who has, may have faced infertility or fertility issues. Um, you know, um, I guess I should speak to it more because I need mean, my cry, I don't know. <laughs> because I think the guys, it's, okay, it's frustrating, and you can get a little angry at times, especially in my profession where I was, and um, you know, meeting a lot of pregnant women and young kids. And especially those unwanted pregnancies, it's kind of like, really, God? They didn't even want this baby, or it's a teen pregnancy or whatever, and here we are, professional, ready to go, ready to start a family, and why are we facing this challenge? But I way, way, way more uh, for women, and I don't think I can ever understand the pain that Eileen was going through at that time. So after a lot of attempts on the medical end of things and the realization after many, many lost pregnancies that this probably wasn't the way God wanted things to happen, um, we prayerfully considered um, going the adoption route. And um, thank God he's led us down that road.
0: Yes, he has. And I remember when you first came to Fallbrook, it was just the two of you. And I want to point out now that they are leaving with their quiver full. <laughs> okay? And I just want to... Let, let's talk about the adoption for a minute. And, and Eileen, I want to leave it open for you to say anything you'd like to here. So don't let me walk ahead of this if, it's, if you'd like to say something. But the idea of adoption, you know, if you had not had the infertility issues. There's two young ladies here today that wouldn't probably be here. Is that right? Are you guys glad that that they had that that problem? You know, yeah.
1: Amen. God knows. He
0: knows. Best. He knows best. But Eileen, just share what you'd like.
2: Um, just what you said. Um, we know that God formed our family, mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, we wouldn't have Annalise and Emily I think even Matthew unless we went through that um,
0: well I know that having the privilege of watching your family as that happened and seeing the girls come as little girls, little tiny babies
1: yeah Annalise took her home from the hospital and Emily a week later yeah. well a week after her birth 13 months later and then along comes 15 months later, sorry along comes Matthew yeah, beautiful. and then there was a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all three were gifts from yes. God, absolutely. Um, and I believe, Matthew, doesn't your name mean gift from God? Yeah. Um, so that was kind of, if we could have pluralized
0: Matthews, but anyway. Okay, gifts from God. And it is interesting that our Sabbath school lesson this quarter, we're studying Matthew. So it's uh, very appropriate. But, you know, in other words, here's what happened. You, t- again, had a very difficult thing that other families may experience and it's, it's a quiet pain, a quiet, you know, it's not something that's usually, in fact, I'm, I'm grateful that they're willing to talk about this today because it allows all of us to understand seeing a little window in their lives that these are, a, 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 this is a family, a couple that said no matter what happens, we're going to trust in God. Mm-hmm. That early education, that bonding into your faith allowed you to have that focal. Now, yeah, you were Emotional, she was strong in that moment, but if there's been other situations where she's been emotional and you've been strong, I'm going to want to bet that. Yeah, okay, (laughs) okay. (laughs) But um, anyway, we are thrilled as we have watched your family grow. 20 years is a wonderful time, Mm -hmm. and uh, you do leave Fallbrook with your quiver full, and we love your family. And uh, your three children are beautiful. I'm I'm delighted we could do this this week when they're all here. Mm -hmm. But, uh, again, overcoming a challenge. Now, in the last 20 years, um, you have been actively involved in this church. And as a part of this church, what are some of the things that you have found most fulfilling in some of the activities you've done?
1: Uh, Young Families Ministries.
0: Okay, tell us about how that happened, how Uh, that formed.
1: uh, Pete Neri... Was looking around at all these young families and trying to figure out a way to help them to, um, I guess, bond and be involved because so often when you have uh, you know zero, one, two, and three-year-old um, like we did, uh, it's tough bringing them into church where you know they're going to start crying and and even though this church has never been the type of church where people turn around and glare at you and your child crying, you so don't want to disturb. And so I think a lot of young families were coming to to church and um, and then be in the mother's room or somewhere in the periphery and leave. And he wanted to see the young families bond and be more active together in the church. So kind of in a way of even pre-adventurers, uh, he wanted all these young cradle roll um, and Uh, kindergarten families to kind of bond. So he put together uh, four or five of us to lead up activities um, where the families would get together and do things together. And uh, that led to camping trips and it led to bringing people into the home to talk to the young families. I still remember when we brought you and Karen into our home to talk about how do you have such a wonderful family? Because we admired uh, you know, your boys and uh, your family. And uh, how do you share uh, and cross-pollinate within the church mm-hmm. some of these uh, principles?
0: And so. I wanna wanna, I'm going to want to bet that some of those people that were a part of that core group became very close friends. Young families group, I think of Richard and Joy and others that were part of that. So that was really an important bonding to keep. And in fact, like Pastor Neary at that time was, I remember uh, me uh, talking with him about this. And the family that prays together and plays together stays together. We're talking about the church family. So the church family that prays, plays, stays together and worships. Okay, young families, adventurers. And of course, as the kids grew, you became involved in adventurers and then pathfinders. You were, were you an adventurer leader for a while, uh, Eileen?
2: Yeah, about two years, I think. Okay.
0: And that's pre-Pathfinders, but again, teaching your kids that church is an important part of their lives. And it's not just the Sabbath morning worship service. It's the total involvement of the church. And they love doing that. Now, there was one other thing. Uh, you, act, you were very active in uh, education for your kids. And Eileen, let me ask you first to talk about... Um, how, how, the edu- how you plan to do education for your kids uh, and how that has worked out.
2: Well, yeah, back at PUC, we had decided that we were going to homeschool. Um, thought we would only do it for four years, so just took one day at a time, but ended up doing it for half of high school, maybe.
3: <laughs> okay.
2: But notice that there are a lot of families in this church that were homeschooling also, And um, a group of us decided that maybe we should start something here.
0: Okay. And so all the way through middle of high school, because of the homeschool support group that we established here as a result of the young families and others wanting to say, because Escondido is 25 miles away, the church school in Murrieta is another 20 miles away, and some parents didn't want to have their kids go that far or they had a, a philosophical idea they wanted to be very involved And so one of the things that the Fallbrook Church has had is our homeschool group. Now, initially it was called the Mustard Seed. Now it's called Canyon Ridge. But I want you to know that from my perspective, I've watched this develop. And whenever Nima Johnson actually is the one that came and talked with several of us in leadership about establishing this, I thought, okay, this is cool. And we started it. But I didn't have any idea about how really cool it would be. And I think that, again, the Fallbrook Church has... um, demonstrated a future for Adventist education by having that homeschool support group here. And your kids were part of that from day one. Okay, cool. Well, I want to keep moving on because there's a lot of other things we've got to cover in the next 25 minutes or so. Um, Lower divisions, you also taught in the lower division Sabbath schools. In other words, you guys were intimately involved with your kids all the way through their lives educationally and church and otherwise as a family. Very healthy and very beautiful, a wonderful example. I want to come back to the medical um, training. Andrew, you're a physician, but you had the MPH. And you told me at one time that you were even considering going down the total preventive health mm-hmm. model. And Eileen, you the same went through the MPH and went into dietetics, but there's another little known secret. You were accepted into medical school. How did that... You know, you chose not to do that, but why... why you? very good student, I would just point out. Tell us about, about why you chose the way you chose.
2: Um, well, I guess like typical Asian families of our generation, it was my dad's dream for me to go to medical school. And, um, but I wanted to homeschool our, ch- our future children and be at home. and um, So the day before medical school started, I told them I wouldn't go.
0: Okay,
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> and um, that's... A
0: decisive that young lady, <laughs> I, I detect, okay.
2: You know, nutrition is more of a, you know, you can work part-time easier.
0: Okay, I, I so you were, you were strategically planning for your family above your career? Yes. Okay, that's a really important element as how strong families can, can, can be built. Now, because of your unique upbringing your understanding of the Adventist emphasis on health and preventive medicine. Tell us, you know, the desire of your heart and how, even though you had a, a good job and a good career this far, what's, how is that connected with the desire of your heart, Andrew?
1: Um, I guess we have to back up on that. Um, you know, I didn't go directly into medical school, um, I went through all the steps, but never applied um, because I was so interested in prevention. And, uh, um, you know, so a lot of the things that, that we all know now that, that Wes Youngberg does. And um, I actually, we actually were there about the same time with Wes when he was at the School of Public Health getting his, his doctorate. Uh, but I actually started in what's called the Doctor of Health Science Program. Um, and some of you may know Hans Deal. Um, that's his. I believe that's what his degree mm-hmm, is, is in. And uh, but the more I was, um, as I started the program, I was impressed that many of the clinical aspects of it um, needed to be done under the auspices of a of a medical doctor. Uh, and so that's when I kind of switched gears and applied the courses I'd already been taking toward the doc- doctoral science program towards the masters and switched over to uh, medicine with the intent of probably doing uh, preventive medicine. Um, but the further I went through medical school, the more I really felt I needed the clinical side of things. And um, also, we had talked about where we eventually wanted to live, and we were thinking more in the country, and what do you have the skills, or what do you get from the skills that can be used in any kind of population base. And uh, we felt that family medicine would be a good good route to go. And we had a lot of friends who uh, were very spiritual um, that we also admired in the field of family medicine that we kind of followed to residency um, to try and help us to grow okay. or me to grow. So uh, I guess from those days, it had been my heart. Um, and I had done some study on to what a medical doctor does and should be doing in um, relationship with the church. Um, but as I went through Loma Linda, um, didn't see a lot of this the, the, a connection there other than the message itself, you know, the preventive side of things, the natural laws, etc. cetera. Um, so after coming, when we moved to Fallbrook at first, um, I actually almost went and did a second residency in preventive medicine. Um, but... Uh, I think that I was contemplating that when we, when Annalise um, came into our life, and decided that going back to more training at that point in time may not be the best thing, and to allow uh, God just to lead. And so, 19 years later, I find myself still working at okay. the same job, okay. which, um, as a, as a family doc. At uh, okay. Kaiser? At okay, Kaiser? At mm-hmm.
0: Kaiser. So family medicine has been, I'm sure, very rewarding. But that piece that is the preventive medicine and especially talking about our health message has kind of been welling up in you a little bit, Andrew. Is that true?
1: Yeah, and I think it's not just the message. Um, I think when we talk about the desire of our heart, it goes beyond just me or the, or the medicine or preventive medicine. It has to do more with the spiritual journey that our family has been on.
0: Okay, well, tell us about that spiritual journey,
2: Eileen. Um, I don't, it probably started six years ago in 2010. Um, Andrew, well, Ed Reed, what is his, um, he came here and did a, a thing on finances.
1: Yeah, many years before. Like way, way before two Three or four years before, but, yeah. Because
2: the kids were little, we couldn't come, but we bought the book. And so Andrew finally read the book and was convicted um, that we needed to sell our house and not not have a mortgage.
1: And we had, you know, been living a fairly typical Adventist, um life. Um, I want to be careful because I, it's a journey we've been on, and I don't want to offend anybody with this. But um,
0: It's individualized. He, it brings- is very
1: individualized, and he was impressing us that... that uh, some of the things that we had done, which may have actually, he didn't impress us earlier because they were good for our family to bond where we had spent our, our money, but he was impressing us it was time to get out of debt. Um, things were changing in the world back then. Oh, well, yes. And, They're changing uh, even more today. Have all of you noticed that? It's been accelerating, yes. So, uh, so that, was, that was the first little bit, Right. Okay, we... so
0: I just want to highlight that just for a moment. Do remember, any of you remember Ed Reed being here? Some of you, anybody here when Ed Reed came? Okay, most were not. Ed Reed has been, written a book called It's Your Money, isn't it? And that was the book you read. And he came here and did a seminar on uh, financial uh, planning for the biblical financial planning is what it was. And it was probably four or five years later because I think he came around 2005, 2005-ish, I think. And I remember at the time we did a number of seminars where we actually sat down with the men's group. There was a men's group and we calculated out how to make an extra payment a year to be able to pay your loan off faster on your house. But he was really, and that that had an impact on our lives as well. And I'll just say how, to show you how the the, uh, one thing impacts another, I've known Ed Reed for many years. When I was the vice president of ASI, Ed Reed was our executive secretary of ASI. We were very good friends. And we had been wanting to have him come to Fallbrook because he, had, he was now the vice president of the North American Division for Stewardship. Well, what happened is I had that same book, and I had it because Ed had sent it to me, and it was laying on the deck, and Karen picked it up and started reading it. She said, did you know this? And I said, yeah. Well, why, why aren't we doing that? And so that was what triggered us to invite him, which then... A few years later, had an impact. So you don't know. A, a, something you do one day may have an impact way down the road. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Ed Reed, and, and so you made a decision to start trying to reorder your life in that regard. Um, so what's next? <laughs>
2: um, so um, the same month we decided to sell our house, Elise Harbolt um, started the Bible. She was a previous Bible worker. Started the Bible reading program, and um, you know we had never read through the whole Bible in a year, and uh, did the total immersion. The yeah. One with okay.
0: The, you, the the total immersion yeah. was reading the entire Bible in the year plus the five Comfort of the Ages series books, which is they're they're take up this much space in the library, and you did that in one year. Okay. How did the impact of reading your Bible through, even though you knew, I mean, you had been born and bred and raised in this, what was the impact of that total immersion on your lives?
1: That was part of what springboarded us, I feel, to where we had, you know, we were totally, we thought we were totally involved with the church. Um, But we began to realize as we went through that process that we had one foot in the church, and, you know, one foot in the world, uh, quite frankly. Um, even though we were very selective, um, and by any tense purposes, people would have looked at us and said, well, it's a pretty conservative Adventist family. Um, uh, you know, the title of the sermon is, you know, what does all mean? And that was kind of the second step in realizing, had we really given all to Christ? Um, and then the third part that happened that year was the Amen Conference. Um, for those that may have maybe never heard of Amen, it's the Adventist Medical Evangelism Network um, Ministry that tries to tie medical professionals uh, together uh, through the organization and through once a year meetings to share how to share Christ in the workplace. Uh, they had a, their annual convention uh, in San Diego uh, that year in November or end of October. I think they do it Halloween weekend or something. Anyhow, uh, and Mark Finley, one of your friends again, uh, was giving the uh, sermon. And uh, it really spoke to both Eileen and I. Uh,
2: yeah, he was, we had just put our house on the market, and he gave an illustration of um, suppose you sell your house or put it on the market, and um, as you're selling it, you say, okay, you can, to the buyer, you can have this house, but this one room is still mine. Um, and
1: he used an illustration of, like, let's say I had a 15-room mansion. It's just one little room. And uh, that resonated with both of us and spoke to us.
0: So from a spiritual perspective, you realized that God wanted all of you with nothing held back.
1: You know, we all, we compartmentalize our lives. A lot of us growing up in Adventism do that. You know, there's, you know, your uh, reading material that's, you know, Christ-centered, and then you have your Sabbath reading material. You have the things that you read to your kids during the week, and then you read something else on Sabbath. Um, There are things you listen to during the week, and then there are things you listen to only on Sabbath. Um, you know and he actually, Mark Finley used those words, you know, he said you know, do we have rooms and that's what spoke to us, do you have rooms in your world of your employment your work, your entertainment your uh, recreation your finances Uh, and um, you know we realized that that uh, we had to start addressing whether we were all in or not. And it was a, it's, we've been on a journey since then, which at times I know has been hard on the kids.
0: They don't look any worse for the wear.
1: <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's hard to explain to them. And fortunately, I guess God put us on, through this journey at a time that they could listen and hear and understand some of the things, too, to help them make decisions in their lives, to help throw out the things that um, were detrimental to our spirituality.
0: You know, I'm thinking of... Uh, all the things that have happened, the things you're talking about. See, Amen was a spinoff of ASI, Mm -hmm. specifically targeting the medical profession. Mm -hmm. And that happened down here because I think Karen and I were also at, there were two conventions down here. We were in and out of those different meetings as well. Um, But isn't it interesting how that at the very moment that you were under conviction to sell your house, and of course you bought another house, okay? It that this is not talking about buying, or selling a house and running out to the desert someplace. This is responsible living. But at the same time, you're under that conviction. Mark Finley preaches a sermon. And how was it that he knew to be able to speak something that would resonate with your heart?
1: Only the Holy Spirit. That's the does Holy that
0: Spirit. It. The Holy Spirit brings all these pieces together to help us in that journey. And your journey has been, I think it's fair to say, it has not been business as usual.
1: Uh, yeah, it's not been business as usual. Okay, when we went, uh, when we sold a house and we're looking for another, and uh, Bonnie, you know better than we do the struggles and the joys of that process. And uh, uh, you know, we, you you have in your mind, and I think a lot of Adventists do. Okay, well, I'm mean, you know, country living, property size, all these things that you somehow line up in your mind of what you think God wants or what you think you want. Um, And that was a a process for us to understand that it's not what we want um, that God is going to supply. He's going to supply what we need when we need it.
0: And that's what it means to be all in. I tell you what, it's a painful lesson to learn, and I've had to learn it. And I hope hope I've learned it. And that is that God doesn't need my help. I'm still working on that. (laughs) Okay. He needs my total and complete commitment to Him because He will when we're all in. And I like that word, all in. Andrew and I, I love those words because that means that there's nothing held back. No reserves. I am completely committed. This is like whenever, uh, whenever Karen and I got married, I'm sure glad she didn't hold anything back. You know, she got, she got in my canoe and she's been there ever since. And that's the same thing I think God is wanting to have happen with us is total commitment. But one of the things that, the word Laodicea has come up in conversations. Laodiceanism is where you have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And that's something I think you guys said, we don't want that to happen Mm -hmm. and went all in for Christ. Now, in the moments we have left, what are you going to be doing in, uh, in Northern California? Eileen start.
2: I'll be, um, doing one-on-one nutrition counseling for the new start program. Um, Possibly teaching some, uh, doing some lectures as well for New Start, and then um, teaching the nutrition course for the college, Weimar College.
0: Okay, all right, that's awesome.
1: What's New Start?
0: Yeah, tell us what New Start is. That's good. Thank you, Andrew.
2: It's their uh, live-in lifestyle program. Um, Of course, New Start stands for the eight natural health laws: uh, nutrition, exercise, water, sunshine, temperance, air. Rest and trust in God, okay. and it just uh, patients are there for three weeks, and it just changes their lives.
0: Just, I, I assumed that everybody knew about Weimar, and I should not have done that. Um, Karen, back in the eighties, Karen's d- parents went to Weimar for the first time. We've been in and out of that institution. It's a wonderful Seventh Avenue supporting ministry organization that is not only a health um, uh, center. Like Eileen just described, but also a school, academy, and college. In fact, uh, your two girls have been there the last year. So, Weimar is a wonderful place. And Andrew, what are you going to be doing there?
1: Uh, I'll be doing the, I'll be one of two physicians doing the New START program, okay. and that'll take about a third of my time. And then they've, uh, also, they're also trying to expand their medical presence in the community to uh, touch the community. So, they're starting a rural health clinic that they've had open for about a year, and I'm going to be helping. Uh, two wonderful Christian physicians um, in that outreach to the community.
0: Now, one of the things that uh, happens in life when people leave Fallbrook, one of the things we find out is that when they leave, they want to come back. Have any of you noticed that with people? You know, they will leave, but then they'll come back. So, one of the things, because you know, Andrew and I talked about six months ago, we were talking about trying to get something more happening here in Fallbrook. And I tell you what, with Wes and Karen and others, and Andrew, others have been here, we've been doing some awesome things in health, but not to the level of what Weimar does. So, now that we're sending our best to Weimar, we're expecting to have a much closer relationship with that institution. And we're counting on someday having a satellite campus back in Fallbrook and maybe. The Kuni Nobus will come back. Would you all like that? Okay. Um, I know that you are following the passion that God has put in your heart, and it's been developing over time. You also, this is the last thing, Andrew, there were some people that thought you were completely out of your mind to resign your job at the time you did with the Kaiser organization, which is a good organization, to do this because it's a sacrifice from a worldly standpoint looking at retirements and financial things your financial planner would not have told you to do this is that right no he would not have told me to do this okay but yet in your heart you know that God is leading you to this and how does it how does it feel to know that you are being led by God and you're following
1: yeah I should correct the statement actually my financial planner did tell me this was okay Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, it feels good to know you know Earlier we talked about the desire of my heart. And uh, um, for both of us, the desire of our heart, um, I guess on the surface people would say it was to do something related to health ministry or to um, you know, prevention, that sort of a thing. But uh, truly the desire of our heart is um, just to be wherever God wants us to be and to utilize whichever talents he's given us. To use them to his honor and to his glory. And so part of the journey has been studying what has God given us, what has He done in our lives, and then allowing him to open and close doors. And to see God through miracles that we don't have time to share right now um, really clearly say this is the time to sever. A, a very good relationship I've had for a long time. But uh, no longer say I work for you know, Southern California Medical Group. I know, you know, basically I'm going to say I work for God. Amen. Um, and ministry is where we really want to be. Okay. And it was really a desire for ministry. That's the desire of our heart to reach others.
0: And that's an awesome desire. And I just want to say that once family, always family. Uh, one of the things that happened, Karen and I stopped at Weimar on our way home from Washington back in, uh, in March. And uh, as we pulled in to unload our van, uh, it was dark, and a little golf cart came by. And there was a young lady that saw us and jumped out and came over and gave us a big hug. That was Annalise. And, you know, no matter where you go, once people are together as we have been as a family and you have been part of our family and always will be a part of this family... It's a wonderful thing to know that as God leads us in ministry, wherever we go, He is taking care of things that we need. And and our lives will never be the same, Mm -hmm. but they've been touched in a way that is that goes on for eternity. Mm -hmm. And I thank you guys. Is there any I'm going to take one more minute. Anything else you'd like to add to this? Um, No. Okay.
2: (laughs) Just well, yeah, let's all be faithful so we can see each other again.
0: Amen. 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 Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the lives of Andrew and Eileen and their family, and the commitment to ministry that they are pursuing. They're not just talking about it, they're doing it. And I thank you for the example that they are setting for us, and I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be with them, and that our Fallbrook family would continue to support and encourage and pray, and that we would uh, see the results in heaven of what their lives have been here and what it will be in the future, in Jesus' name,
4: We want to thank Andrew and Eileen for sharing with us their experience. And we as a church family, we want to pray for them. Amen? We want to lift them up on a daily basis as they serve their community up in Weimar and that part of the country. This moment, um, our worship and giving is for our local church budget. And we praise God for his faithfulness. Amen? And how he provides for our needs and for the needs of this church. And we again thank you for your generosity in this regard. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being faithful. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for guiding in so many different ways the decisions that we have to make day by day. And Father, we thank you for this church family, a place where we can come. And not only know about you, but also a place where we can put into practice those things we have learned. And again, we are encouraged in seeing how you have led in the Kuninobu family. And we continue to pray for them as they minister up north to others who still don't know about you. We thank you for being our God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to share with the church family a few announcements Um, this afternoon at 2.30 p.m. We have our prayer team, and they meet um, to share experiences, but also to pray for our church family and for each other. And tomorrow, Sunday, um, June 5, at 1.30 p.m. here at our church, there's going to be an international Adventist prayer meeting. And if you would like to find out what this is all about, Um, You can speak to me or to James Hahn, who's actually leading out in this very beautiful, beautiful activity. And we're basically uniting churches from around the world um, via Skype. And we're going to be praying for one another. And as you can see here, we also have a guest um, speaker um, devotional given by Barry Black, who's the chaplain of the United States Senate. And tomorrow. 1.30 1.30 p.m. here at our church, a group of us are going to be meeting, praying for one another, and praying with other church members in Korea, and Japan, and in other parts of the world. Um, also, I would like to just mention there's a second reading today for Melba Houston from the Murrieta Springs SDA Church. This comes as a motion from our um, church board um, as a recommendation to, to accept her as a member of our church, and we only need a second this morning. Second. Okay. All in favor, say amen. Amen. Opposed, no. It is carried. Pastor
5: Jeff has a few more announcements to share with us. Amen. Thank amen. You. Good morning, church family. Nice to see each one of you. Wanted to, first of all, let you know that this evening we have the opportunity to say farewell to the Kununobu family, and uh, we're going to be having a potluck with some yummy food that is the Has the theme of of Asian food. And I don't know where people got that from, but uh, anyway, we decided uh, to. Yeah, we're going to have a potluck tonight uh, with Asian themed food, going to have worship, close the Sabbath together, and encourage you to come on out. Um, Even if you're not too familiar with the Kuninobu family, it's a chance to socialize with the rest of your church family. And that'll be tonight at 6 p.m. And we'll be beginning with worship here in the sanctuary tonight at 6 p.m. Also, uh, in your bulletin, and I know some of you um, got the flyer passed out to you, and that is regarding our vacation Bible school this summer, and I am very excited about this here's VBS. Last year, we had a fun and exciting and successful VBS about the sanctuary. If you remember, we uh, didn't sacrifice any of your sheep or lambs, but we had some real animals out, and we had a a live, not a live, but a A large model, life-size model of the sanctuary. And uh, this year, we are going to be um, having a VBS around the theme of Be a Missionary. And we are going to be flying from country to country every day. We're going to have a pilot and a flight crew with us. And they are going to be helping the kids travel from country to country every day. And the last place that we'll visit on Friday is a place called Fallbrook, California. It'll be home because uh, you don't have to go overseas to be a missionary, but you can be a missionary where you are. And so uh, uh, that'll be happening this summer. And uh, there'll be exciting mission stories, inspiring lessons, and also music and snacks from each of the countries that we'll be visiting. Um, and that's happening um, here in about three or four weeks, Monday, June 27 through Friday, July at 1 from 9.30 a.m. to 12 p.m., And on the flyer, there's a website that you can register uh, your child. So one, if you have kids age 4 to 11 that uh, would like to participate, go ahead and register them. If they're younger than 4, they can still come, but we just request that uh, a guardian or a parent or someone is with them to help them uh, take them around. And if they're older than that, 12 or older, we need your help being a crew leader, and if you don't fall into any of those categories, we still need your help. Uh, we have craft stations, and we have snack stations and games, and we need lots of, lots of help. We're going to be decorating uh, the uh, uh, different sections to look like you know different jungle outposts uh, in different parts of the world, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but uh, if you'd like to help, please let me know. And keep this flyer. I know a lot of you live in neighborhoods. And you may see uh, little Johnny or Susie running around, and you can stop them uh, in a very nice, uh, non-confrontational way and say, hey, go give this to your parents, and uh, invite them as well. So we can uh, look forward to that. Amen. Next Sabbath, June 11th, um, in the
4: afternoon, we're going to be having a um, special meeting um, in regards to evangelism we've talked about it a lot as a church but how do we put this into practice and so we're going to be having a meeting at 2 30 p.m. and we are calling it cycle of evangelism and we believe there are stages when it comes to um, sharing the good news and the first stage has to do with planning and, and coming up with a good solid plan that we can then see um, fruits in, in the near future or extended future. So we'd like to invite all of our church members to come and and share with us um, this time. We we have some ideas we'd like to share and we would like your feedback as well and then see how you can be involved in different parts of this cycle that we are starting this year. Um, Sunday, June 12th, we also have um, Wes Youngberg and he's going to be presenting again another Alzheimer's seminar starting at 1 p.m. Sunday afternoon, June 12th. And again, an opportunity to invite friends and neighbors who are interested in health, and this is a great opportunity to um, let them know who we are. And Pastor Jeff, on the 18th, what's, what's going on?
5: Yes, we've had two of them already, but we're going to be having another, uh, and that is a church family night. So we like to go to a gym here in Temehila, and we have food and we have opportunities to socialize and get to know church members. And so on the 18th of June, we'll be having another one of those. We'll be giving more information, but mark that in your calendars. And in addition, wanted to let you know this summer something that you can write down, not in the bulletin, but we're planning on July 9, second Sabbath in July, to have an outdoor Sabbath. Um, we've had those in the past, but we're still looking into where and some different things. Um, But uh, plan on uh, July 9, Um, we'll probably still have first service here or one service here. But then uh, those that are able be traveling out to a location to have outdoor Sabbath and a chance to hike and and, uh, be together as a church family. So some things that we can look forward to this summer. Invite the congregation to stand
4: as we sing together our closing hymn, hymn number 316, Live Out Thy Life Within
6: King of Kings, be Thou Thyself the answer to all
1: Father, I want to thank you so much today for being a God who's interested in each one of our lives. Amen. And you are leading and guiding each one. And Lord, Amen. as we are each on our own journey, we pray that each day we will learn more and more what it means to be all in. Lord, I pray that you will be with this uh, church family in a very special way in the Amen. coming months and years. As uh, our family leaves, we just ask that We all will be faithful so that we will meet together in heaven again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.
3: Amen.
5: You may be seated in Sabbath school beginning shortly.
7: I tried to assume we're going to be running a little late. So rather than make it too long, I probably made it too short. Shall we bow our heads? Kind Father Nevin, You are the God who loves us, who has provided for us in every way. We thank you. We ask you, Lord, forgive us wherein we have failed. Empower us where we need to excel. Lord, the time is short. Your coming is upon us. Let us not be knocking at a closed door. Help us to the city. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, we're going to begin with news you can use. God is being eroded. eclipsed, liquidated in the United States, the Cardinal says. This is Cardinal Robert, and he's from Guinea. I don't know if it's pronounced Sarah or Sarah, but he said recent events in the US are destroying Americans' ability to connect to God. He's a native of the West African nation of Guinea. Here's what he says, there are specific events in the name of tolerance that have contributed to this erosion, including the legalization of same-sex marriage, the obligation to accept contraception within health care programs, and even bathroom bills that allow men to use the women's restrooms and locker rooms. Should not a biological man use the men's restroom, he said? How much simpler can that concept be? He further warned that subversions of the church's teachings include a demonic gender ideology. We call it transgender that could lead to the family unit becoming a place where human beings can be humanly and spiritually wounded. I want to remind you that this Cardinal Seurat is a Catholic Cardinal. But Cardinal Seurat must not be speaking for Pope Francis. Pope Francis says, God has instructed me to revise the Ten Commandments. Pope Francis spoke about the importance of family in modern society, saying, It needs to be helped and strengthened lest we lose our proper sense of the services which society as a whole provides. During his sermon, Pope Francis announced to Christians around the world that God has called upon him, instructing him to revise the most sacred of texts, the Ten Commandments. Given to the Israelites by God Himself at Mount Sinai, the commandments include instructions for worship and list several prohibited practices I am not going to comment any more than to say what the scripture says in case you haven't noticed for this presentation I wore my Bible tie (laughs) for assuredly I say to you till heaven and earth pass away one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever, therefore, breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. I should make sure you understand that what what does it mean to be called least in the kingdom of heaven? Does that mean that you're going to be lowest on the totem pole in the kingdom? No. No. There is no upper and lower echelons in the kingdom. This is Jesus' way of saying, you're not going to be there. And if you want to take a look at the text, the SDA commentary, you'll find out that this is exactly what that is also saying. Pope Francis said Christians around the world are faced with ever increasing temptations brought on by the evils of modern society. The Pope said the updated commandments reflect the changing times and include some minor rewording of the existing rules as well as the addition of two new commandments. The fourth that is the Catholic Fourth, the Bible Fifth Commandment, which advocates that proper respect be shown to one's parents has been reworded in order to include children raised by same-sex parents. Pope Francis said the Seventh Commandment, and it's interesting he uses the Catholic numbering system then, but here, this actually, the Seventh Commandment, The seventh commandment, prohibiting adultery, and among other things homosexuality, has been removed entirely. As instructed by God, in order to extend God's grace to all His children. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Revelation 22.14 says, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Deuteronomy says this, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Addressing the inclusion of the New Commandments, which bring the total number to 11 since he removed one. Pope Francis praised the rapid growth of technology in the digital age, but said progress comes at a price. The new Fifth Commandment, which replaces the prohibition of adultery, forbids all aspects of genetic engineering and bans the consumption of genetically Modified foods. Okay. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 8 and 9 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. And Malachi says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Hmm. Moving on. Lastly, the 11th commandment disallows personal idolization of the glorification of oneself over God. Using the Kardashians, A highly publicized celebrity family, as an example, Pope Francis said, selfies are an abomination in the eyes of our Lord. Daniel 7.25 says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Mark seven eight says, "For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. All too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition." And Isaiah eight twenty says, "To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word." it is because there is no light in them. By inserting two new commandments, their very nature, that is social-technical, actually trivializes the commandments. And as the technology advances and society declines, I see where it will probably be necessary for this or future popes to further amend God's law to cover more socially acceptable sins under grace. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law but under grace. A lot of people read that and stop. But Paul continues, What then? Shall we sin, because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid! Know ye not, that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey? whether of sin under death, or of disobedience (laughs) unto righteousness. So, by removing the seventh commandment, adultery, fornication, and homosexual relations are okay because they are covered by God's grace to all. God must be waiting for the Pope to finish so he can revise his copy of the 10, I mean 11 commandments. What is papal authority? These are not my words. Pope Pius X. The Pope is not simply the representative of Jesus Christ. On the contrary, he is Jesus Christ himself, under the veil of the flesh. Does the Pope speak? It is Jesus Christ who is speaking. Hence, when anyone speaks of the Pope, it is not necessary to examine, but to obey. Pope Pius XII said, Recognize the Holy Catholic Roman Church to be the only true church of Jesus Christ, outside of which neither sanctity or salvation can be found. Call them to the unity of the onefold, granting them the grace to believe every truth of our holy faith, and to submit themselves to the supreme Roman Pontiff, the vicar of Jesus Christ on earth. The word vicar means replaced. And finally, Pope Pius V. The Pope and God are the same. So he has all power in heaven and earth. Who? Why? What? Where? When? The second commandment is missing. Emperor Leo, where is it? Next week, some answers. What I have, if any, I reprinted the article. And the Pope has instructed me to change. That God has instructed me to change the Ten Commandments, or revise them. So, if you would like one, uh, it has most of the scriptures I used this morning. I don't think it has all of them, but you are welcome to it. And I'm leaving. Four minutes early. So. No, it's not. Who's the that? If you could pass those out, let me keep one for myself so I can...
0: We'll separate for our classes now. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Sabbath to you. Um, The summer has come in vigorously in the last couple of days, wouldn't you say? Well, um, it's good. I tell you what, we have a fig tree that the figs were really green and all of a sudden within a day they were ripe. So that heat does help ripen fruit. And since we're going to be talking about fruit a little bit today, we'll talk about how, you know, what the spiritual application of that is. But as our custom is, I want to invite you to just bow your heads with me as we invite the presence of our God in our midst. Holy Father in heaven, I want to thank you for the privilege that we have of coming together to worship you through the study of your word. And I pray, O oh God, that you would bless us today and open our minds to the power of your Holy Spirit impression upon it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 70 years had gone by and it was time for the prophecy of the 70-year captivity that Jeremiah had said when the children of Israel are taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, they'll be there for 70 years. And then at the end of 70 years, they'll come back to the land of Israel. The group has come back and they're standing at the site of the first temple, which was built by, by Solomon. And in that group that's there, The Bible tells us that there were some of the old men, okay, now they would have had to have been, I would say, 75, 80, 85, 90 years old, who had actually seen the first temple before the Babylonians had completely destroyed it and razzed it to the ground. And it says in the scriptures that they wept because the temple that was being built was so inferior. From a worldly standpoint, there wasn't the gold. There wasn't the silver. It was just a basic building. One of the things I've had the privilege, Karen and I have had the privilege of traveling into parts of the country over there in in both Greece and in Turkey. And one of the things that's interesting, you see all these old buildings. And um, George and Benny, you've been to some of those same places. And they're huge stones that make up these arches. Well, here's what's fascinating. They've got that out there to show tourists from antiquity, But in, the, in antiquity, all those stones were just the foundation. They were covered with beautiful white or gold or something else. And uh, so anyway, all these people are gathered around as this temple is being built. And the old men who had seen it early on are weeping because it is so inferior. There are two prophets. We don't know specifically that they were there, but it's very likely that they were. The older prophet's name was Haggai. And there's a book of the Bible that is named after Haggai. And there was a young prophet there whose name was Zechariah. These are two of what we call the minor prophets that their lives crossed over. I don't know if there was 20 or 30 or 40 years between them, but one is represented as being a little older and one is younger. And there are two specific passages of Scripture that are very fascinating that one of the prophets off, uh, uh Actually, enunciates and writes, and then the second one does. And these are found on Sunday's part of your lesson. If you've got your quarterly, I invite you to look there with me. The old prophet was named Haggai, and he reminded the people that the true glory of Solomon's temple did not come from Solomon or anyone else. It wasn't Solomon's temple. Whose temple was it? It was God's temple. And here's what Haggai says in Haggai chapter 2, verses 6-9. through nine. This is what the Almighty, Lord Almighty says, In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations. And what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. The impression of the Holy Spirit is speaking, and He's saying, even though it doesn't have the gold and the silver... I'm going to come and I'm going to fill this house with glory. And then he goes on to say, because he knew they were worried about the lack of gold and silver. He says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Okay? Don't worry that the gold and silver is not on this temple right now. And he goes on to say, the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord God Almighty. Now, that's the older prophet Haggai. Very likely, contemporaneously, and maybe standing in the same circle around the temple, is the younger prophet named Zechariah. And here's what he says this is found in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, can you imagine? All these children of the prisoners and a few of the ones who had been taken uh, captive are coming back and trying to rebuild their way of life. And, of course, one of the reasons why the temple had been destroyed is because they got so caught up in the worldly grandeur and beauty of that first temple with all of its gold. I mean, the gold that David had amassed, that Solomon put in that temple, if you read in Kings and Chronicles, it it would have made the Taj Mahal look like uh, nothing. It was an amazing structure. But again, they got caught up in the worldly aspect of it instead of thinking about the spiritual aspect of it. But I want to just read again right out of the... Scripture, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, because this is a really important text. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, the foal of a donkey, or a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is written some hundreds of years before the fulfillment of that prophecy, now, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. With that background, we're now going to jump into our study. Matthew chapter 21. Jesus does something that he has not done yet to this point. Jesus has demonstrated a selflessness a willingness to help other people, but has always shielded himself from the spotlight. Anytime the disciples want to push him forward because, hey, this is a miracle worker. This is a guy who's doing all these incredible things, the healings. Every time they try to push him forward, he backs up and says, no, whenever, you know, they're going to try to coronate him out when he's feeding the 5,000, he commands them all to leave and the disciples and he goes up on a mountain to pray. But here we see something happening. Now, I just want to, While prophecy is about to be fulfilled as we read this, I'm talking about not this moment, we're looking at the fulfillment of prophecy, I want you to get a sense of the scope. Jesus' ministry is nearing its end. He has been here for three, going on three and a half years. And he has not been able to move the leadership of the Jewish nation, the spiritual leadership of the Jewish nation, the priesthood, the Levites, all the bourgeois, if you will. He hasn't been able to move them an inch. They are more determined than ever that he's an imposter and they've got to get rid of him or he's going to mess up their system. So get that sense. And then we have verse 1, chapter 21. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Now, verse 4. Here's a very fascinating thing. All of this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. Who was the prophet? Zechariah. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, many times there's little nuances in Scripture. When he told them the two disciples, to go, he'd find a donkey with a colt. And he said, bring them. So here he comes with the donkey and her colt. Now, I want to ask a question. Any of you ever bro- ha- uh, been a part of breaking a horse to ride? Okay, Dale, you have. Okay, you have. What happens when you're breaking a horse to ride? Okay, if you get on that horse and he's not been trained, and, and basically they call it broken. You've got to break that horse to make him allow a human to ride. You're going to get bucked off. He doesn't like that weight on his back. There's this, all this problem. So the colt of this donkey is brought to Jesus. I just want you to get, the, get the, the sense of that. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. Verse 6, They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on the clothes. In other words, the clothes were the saddle. So he's not sitting right on the, the back of the donkey. There's clothes. okay, Colorful things, maybe. And they sit Jesus on that. Now, can you imagine... The excitement that is beginning to build in the disciples. The people who are watching this, Jesus is finally going to allow himself to receive some attention. Now, here's what's fascinating. Whenever King David was dying, I'm not going to go to the verse in Scripture, but it's in 1 Kings I think it's 2 Kings. And he wants to place Solomon on the throne. Do you remember what he did? Anybody? He told his servant, go get my donkey. Now, what color was his donkey? Do you know? It was a white donkey. White donkey. So even though Matthew 21 doesn't say it's a white donkey, I want to bet that it was. Okay? Because what you have happening is, Jesus is now entering Jerusalem as the kings had always entered Jerusalem when they were being coronated. So when David says, put Solomon on my donkey and bring him with the procession into the city. And what was that a signal to all the people? That he was now the king. David was saying, I'm stepping back. I'm abdicating the throne in, in, throne in favor of my son, Solomon. So now we have Jesus reenacting the way that all of the Jewish kings had been coronated. Now even though this had not happened for perhaps um, many, uh, actually centuries, centuries have gone by, all the people knew instantly what it meant. And I can imagine the excitement. Verse 8, And a very large multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. That's what they call palm branches. Palms of victory. Okay? Then the multitudes, verse 9, who went before and those, and those who followed cried out, Hosanna to the Son of David. What's the significance of that phrase? Okay? Okay? Hosanna is a praise to God, number one. You don't go around saying Hosanna about a human. Hosanna is a praise to God. But when it says, Son of David, that's right. It's referring back to the prophecy that there would always be a Son of David on the throne and that the Messiah would be a Son of David. Okay, So they're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna in the highest. Now, those phrases in our current world have been put in some of the greatest anthems that we sing. The Hallelujah Chorus, Hosanna, you know, these words. So they are, they are the moment has come for them. And when he had come into Jerusalem, so you realize from the Mount of Olives, he rides the donkey with the procession down through the valley and back into the city of Jerusalem, and it says in verse 10, when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Colt. So That's right. So that was a it was a miracle right there. That's what I was referring to a minute ago. The cult is the one he's writing. And you know what? That is an exact fulfillment of the prophecy I just read in Zechariah, isn't it? The cult of a donkey. Okay, So it is a miracle. You want to take a young donkey and put the king on it and it's not broken? But that donkey had one of the highest honors that an animal created could have. It bore Jesus into Jerusalem. So Jesus has allowed himself to receive the homage and the worship of all these people. First time. He's never allowed this before. His ministry has been different until now. He's coming to the end of it. So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, in one of the other Gospels, when Jesus stops and he looks at Jerusalem, it's not just a glorious occasion. It's not just the hosannas. It's not just the praises. It's also a puzzle to the people because Jesus looks at the beautiful city in front of him, he's about to enter, and he begins to weep. He says, "Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who have killed the prophets." And he goes on with this, "Oh, how many times would I have taken you as a chick gathers her little chick, a chicken gathers her chicks or a hen, gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not. He's coming to that point where the nation of Israel who have been his chosen people are about to the end of the line. It's almost there. And it's like there's this terrible divine ripping that's going on in his heart. As he's coming to the point, and he knows it. And so this passage represents a major change. So our lesson today is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Now I want Scott, yeah, I you were saying, that was a divorce. oh yeah, it was yes it it's been a marriage, and here's here's the thing: how long has it been since uh Daniel was given the vision about how long it would be till Messiah? anybody know how much? Four hundred and well, yeah we're nearing the 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 four ninety right am i am I mistaken yeah, okay, we're nearing the end of that prophecy, okay, and the people were aware of it, and isn't it interesting that whenever the you know it's four hundred and ninety years that was seven times seventy was the math. And what was it whenever Jesus was asked, how many times should I forgive my brother? What did Jesus say? (laughs) Seventy times seven. How much is that? 490. What Jesus was saying is mercy and forgiveness is not forever. And we're nearing the end of this prophecy there. See, there's multiple things that come in and show us. So Jesus is coming down to this very end and his heart is is breaking. But the next things that happen in a row right after this are nothing short of amazing because this is designed to illustrate the divorce, if you will. This is pointing out that mercy is in your presence, but you will not accept mercy. Grace is here to save you but you are rejecting it. Now, I want to hasten to add that the, the progression that we're looking at right now also has a fulfillment in the very end. Okay, There comes a time when God has to look down upon the entire world because even though he is <clears throat> trying to reach his people, Israel, it wasn't for them exclusively, They were supposed to be reaching out to the whole world. And of course, it failed in that miserably. And again, God is coming down to the very end and he's saying, okay, the world as a whole is coming to the end of that line and I'm going to have to bring a conclusion to it. And just like the end of the 490 years was coming, we are now very close and getting closer every day to the final. So there's a parallel that I want you to be thinking in the back of your mind. So Jesus makes what is called the triumphal entry. Verse 12. So Jesus comes in, gets off the donkey, and enters into the temple of God. And what does he do there? He cleanses the temple. Now, this is the second time that he has done what we call in our Religious world, the doctrines, the, the stories we've learned. This is called Jesus Cleansing the Temple, part two. Now, is that what you'd expect? The man who's just been coronated king, with all the thousands of people who probably joined the procession, he gets off, walks in, and starts flipping tables over, chasing the cows and the chickens out of the temple. Can you imagine the puzzlement that must have been on people? But here's what it says. I'm sorry? Somebody, I, I haven't opened it up yet, so, but don't, don't hesitate to interrupt me if you want to say something. Okay. And he drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. The schemes that had been developed by the Jewish leadership to be able to Release the people out of their money to have a sense of being right with God, taking the ordinances, the sacrifices, the things that God had made, and turning it into a business operation, I think we can look at that and say that was not something that God thought Jesus thought very highly of. He was kind of upset about that, wouldn't you say? Okay. He took ownership of his sanctuary there and that moment was very special because that was an exact fulfillment of the prophecy that we had just read where it said he will come and fill this house. So Jesus comes and not the gold, not the silver, but the reason that the second house was said to be more glorious is because the presence of God himself was in that second temple, so there he is, but the but then, so everybody's running away. they don't what to do. yes, it was, okay, thank you, Anatole. That's right, in the outer court, which was called the Court of the Gentiles, where the Gentiles could go. But only a Jew could go into the intersection. And they had set up a mall in there. If you wanted a chicken, go here. If you wanted a goat, go here. If you wanted a calf or a lamb or a dove, they had stalls. It was like like going to the flea market in the court of the Gentiles. Good point. That was the place where they were supposed to be reaching out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Gentiles... Phew, they've In other words, they've corrupted the system. Also a lot of chaos and noise and oh That's right. And don't you think that the devil was loving that? That's right. That's right. Upset their system. And in fact, if you read this story in The Desire of Ages, it indicates that divinity flashed through Jesus' eyes and everybody scattered. There's nobody saying, hey, leave my stuff alone. Shoo, they were gone. He'd come in. Okay, I got three hands. Yeah, now we're here. Yes. That's right. Matthew chapter 11, I think I had that written down.
8: But the um, the
0: who are Yeah. Now, the people get scared. People back up and and become afraid. Bill Yes. Yes. I want to just make a comment on this. Um, Today, a lot is being made out of the real estate in Israel. Okay, wouldn't you say? But what did Jesus say? He said, behold, your house. He initially called it his house. Okay, we talked about that a minute ago. But then he said, behold, your house is left to you what? Desolate. Okay? So he, when he left, he left that place. And today, you still have the charades going on there. But I want to encourage you, don't take what's happening there too seriously. Okay? Because Jesus said, your house has left you desolate. He's gone. He fulfilled it. What we're talking about now is where the fulfillment of that came. Jim, Hmm, that's a really good question. Why do you think people are are naturally pushing away from the Bible and Scripture? Bill. Okay. Politeness seems to have been lost in our culture, hasn't it? Polite? Who's polite anymore? Certainly not on television. The natural human heart is at variance with God and His commandments. That's basically what we're saying. And Jim, we are looking for any excuse as a race of people Because we are in rebellion. I'm going to use your words now. We're in rebellion against God. Do you realize that we are living in rebellion against God? We are. We want to salve our conscience and we make decisions, but we still, we're moving towards God, but we still, in our natural hearts, are in rebellion against God. So we're going to try to squeeze ourselves out and somehow marginalize Jesus. That's what this is all about. Somebody who's doing that is seeking to marginalize the Son of God and what He's done. And it happens. The Bible, and are we surprised? What does Timothy say? Paul says in the letter to Timothy, Behold, scoffers will come in the last days. Saying, where is the promise of His coming? When you talk to people about the second coming of Christ, out on the street, people look at you like, what? Really? Really? And even within the church, I'll just say, this picture up here, we had a donor last fall come to us and say, we would like to have that picture go to every academy in North America. Now, that's no small undertaking, okay? Every academy in North America. And the reason they did that is they said, we are losing so many kids from age 18 to 28 that if we can somehow remind them visually of what we're here for and what we're all about from 14 to 18, maybe we'll save some of those. That was their logic. We said, okay, that sounds wonderful. So we devised a system to where a letter went out from the Division of, North American Division, Department of Education saying, you have a free painting framed in everything, it'll be shipped to you, you have to unpack it, hang it in a prominent place, put a light on it, and have some kind of a ceremony to, uh, you know, to announce it. I want to tell you that we have actually had a group of academies that have turned us down that didn't want the painting. I have to say, I'm not going to name the academies. I, was, I have to tell you, I'm dumbfounded by that. But I am happy to tell you that over 101 have it hung in their Prominent places. 101 of our academies now have that picture talking about the second coming of Christ. But even in our midst, there are those who say, well, philosophically, we're beyond that. That's not where we are. Well, I, I, was, I have to tell you, I was pretty astounded at that. But should we be surprised? Of course not. Scoffers are going to come. So yes, there are going to be things put up where people try to marginalize Christ. But here's the point. I was going to make this a little later. I'm going to make it now. How did Jesus justify his actions while his he was walking on this earth? How did he justify what he did? Okay, how did he do it? Yeah. Okay, but... But, but whenever, he would, whenever he came forward and would do something, he, had a, he used his authority. And what was his authority? Was it his own authority? That, that's right. Jesus, in almost everything he was doing, you find him quoting the scriptures. Thus saith the Lord. And even when, I, the one that comes to my mind right now is after the crucifixion, on the road to Emmaus, he joins the two d- disciples, not, not two of the twelve, who are just moaning and can't believe what's happened. They don't understand it. He joins them. He doesn't let them know who he is. He could have easily said, here I am. Let me tell you why. Beginning at Moses and the prophets, he explained and expounded to them all the things that were in the Scriptures. Okay, So that's the key. If Jesus justified the way he functioned on this earth by quoting Scripture and going to the Scripture as his authority, that should be ours too. And so when someone says to me, well, you know, Jesus really didn't turn the tables over. That, the commotion was happening and he got blamed for it. What do I say? Uh-uh. No way. Because if you're going to try to justify and say something in Scripture is not correct, then you've got to throw the whole thing out. Because if you're going to choose what parts of Scripture are valid and what parts are not, You are making yourself God. Okay? You think, okay, all of us in here um, have been born in the 1900s. Okay? Well, I shouldn't say that. Since 1900. 1930, I don't know when it is. Anyway. And here we think that we're so smart that after thousands of years of human existence and God infinity that we know better than he does. Is that astounding? But that's what happens. And so, Jim, to respond, if, it's, if somebody wants to challenge the Word of God, I don't have any time for it. Because it's foolishness. I accept the inspiration of the Word of God as if it is Christ speaking to us. Now, there are difficult passages that require me praying and asking God to help me to understand and interpret them. I'm not diminishing that, but when someone says, well, he it says that he turned the table over, but he really didn't. What's that doing? That's undercutting the inspiration of Scripture, and I have no time for it. Zero. So, you know, most of the time, I won't even give credence to answer it. It's so stupid. Okay? Yeah. yeah. I'll tell you what, you know, um, what we want to do is we want to draw that person or those people that are trying to say, my idea is better than what the Scriptures say. I want to draw them. I don't want to just reject them. I want to try to draw them to a faith in the Scriptures. Because that's life. If they reject the Scriptures long enough, what's going to happen to them? That's right. This is not... This is not a game of checkers with your grandpa. This is life and death issues. So anyway, you can imagine the Jewish leaders, they are furious. He's overturned and all the people are coming. He's healing the people and as was brought out, the healing was a part of the Isaiah 35 prophecy, which, you know, here's, and I just want to pause for this a moment. Doubt can come into our minds. Anybody here willing to admit that you've ever had a doubt spiritually? Okay? Those of you who didn't raise your hands are not being honest with me. Okay? Everybody has had a doubt at some point in time. Okay? You do. And you know what? Even the greatest prophet who ever lived, Jesus is the one that said that. There's been no greater prophet than John the Baptist ever to be born of a woman. He, he, had, he had a doubt. He's in jail for standing up for principle and speaking out against Herod and his illicit relationship with his brother's wife. And he gets thrown in jail. Well, surprise. And he said, his disciples come and say, man, Jesus is growing in popularity and all these people are falling. And he said, okay, go ask him this question. This is in Matthew chapter 11. He says, So John the Baptist's disciples go to Jesus and say, our master, John the Baptist, asked us to ask you this question. Are you the one we're supposed to be looking for, or should we be looking for another? And what was that? What what was being evidenced by that question? Doubt. Even John the Baptist, in jail, just before he's going to lose his head, has a doubt. So there's nothing, I mean, doubt is not the problem. Nourishing doubt and letting it take over and become our new way of thinking is a problem. But what does Jesus do? He said, okay, you guys just stay here and watch everything that happens today. And what's he doing? According to Matthew 11, he heals the sick. He binds up the brokenhearted. He's ministering to all these people. And at the end of the day, what does he do? He says, go tell John what you've seen today. So goes and tells John, and I can imagine, they say, he healed this guy, they did all these things, and what happens into John's mind, who has the word of God in his mind, flashes Isaiah 35, where he is coming to heal. A, in other words, the exact fulfillment of that prophecy. So um, the authority, even there, it's on the word of God. And I, if I, there's one thing I want to emphasize <clears throat> today, is that the prophecies, what we're reading here, is fulfillment of the prophecies that were given in the Old Testament. And everything that we're having see, seeing happen today, I want to encourage you to think about the power in the Word of God. That's what this is really all about. The demonstration that the Spirit of God is working through the expression of the prophets, the apostles, through the Scriptures that apply to us today, and we can have confidence in them. As we study these examples and we see them applying in their current situation, we also see them applying here. Let me give you an example. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was considered a great thing. You know what the greater thing is? His triumphal entry into your heart. That's the greater thing. And there is a deeper spiritual element that is being shown to us because that's what he's really after. He's after all the individual human hearts that make up his creation. So the triumphal entry of Christ into our hearts is what it's really about spiritually, Jim. Oh, yeah. Well, this morning, if those of you who are here for first service, you heard the interview with, that we di- I did with uh, Andrew and Ily and Kuninobu. And if you weren't here for first service, you'll get it again second service. One of the things they said was that really transformed their lives is when they dug into the total immersion program of reading the Bible and the, and the five volumes of the Spirit of Prophecy, Conflict of the Ages, in one year. And when you're saturating yourself with the stories of Jesus, you fall in love with Him. Okay? But those... Pharisees um, said to him in verse 16, Do you hear what these are saying? Jesus said, Yes, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. So the triumphal entry is over, and the leaders don't like Jesus. They're upset with him. But the people and the babies and the children recognize there's something going on here. I want to shift gears. Because there are four things in a row the fig tree, um, the parable of the two sons, the parable of the wicked vine, dre- wine, uh, vine dressers, and the parable of the wedding feast that all come right in a row and are, are directly related to this passage of the triumphal entry. Because what Jesus is saying is, it's almost over, folks, and through the symbols and the parables, he's showing them again and again and again. Now, if you remember John the Baptist, Before Jesus comes down to the water to be baptized in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist looks at the leaders, the the scribes and the Pharisees, I believe is what it's called. They're not the priests, but the scribes and the Pharisees. And he said, hypocrites, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Of course, what he's talking about is everlasting death, second death. And he said, bear fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, there's the fruit element Listed in there. Bear fruit. He said, because even now the axe is being laid to the roots of the tree. And a tree that doesn't bear fruit is going to be cut down. Right, Lawson? I've got a couple apricot trees that put up about two apricots a year. I said last year, this is it. Well, they look nice, but I haven't cut them down yet. But it's about time. They, they, you know, the peaches coming on strong. Everything else is producing fruit, but those apricots. I don't know. We got the wrong ones. But they're big, beautiful trees, but nothing. Even there, he says, the axe is being laid to the root of the tree. Now, the fig tree. Okay, A lot of people don't understand the parable of the fig tree. God's cursing a fig tree? What's with that? But I want you to notice that it's in context of what's just happened. He's just come in and made the triumphal entry. He has... You know, most of the people were expecting him to become king now. They're wrong. Even in the fulfillment of prophecy happening right in front of people, they don't understand it. That's another little point for us. In the fulfilling of prophecy, if we're not tuned into the Holy Spirit, we're not going to understand it necessarily. They didn't. Okay, but now, the next morning, verse 18, he is returning to the city, and he was hungry. Now, you got to realize, the time of this feast is before the fig trees are really on. You know, actually, the nation of Israel is very close to the same climate as what we have. Okay? Even the latitudes as you go around, it's almost identical. San Diego County is very much like Israel. We have fig trees. Anybody have figs in April? You did? Really? Okay. Well, that's rare. My figs have just come on. Just now. The leaves are on, but see, a fig tree is unique. Because the little fig pops up first and then a leaf comes to cover that little fig and the fig grows. So usually the fruit comes first and then the leaf. Well, in this case, he sees a fig tree by the road and he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves. Anything wrong with leaves? Oh, they look nice. They protect the fruit. But he sees nothing on there. In other words, the leaves being there should indicate that there's some fruit. There's not. So Jesus does something that puzzles people. He basically curses this tree that he had made by his creative power. Don't lose that. Something that he had made, he now curses. He said, let no fruit grow on you forever again. Whoa. And immediately the fig tree withered away. Immediately. Now, here's what, here's what he's illustrating, that the tree is representative of the Jewish system that has been the one that's supposed to call him forward. He, pres- he made it. He set that system in place. But he's about to bring it to a conclusion, and he's just showing the people that something he created, which is the fig tree, which is not producing fruit. He says, that's it. It's enough. The axe laid to the root, the fig tree withering up right on the spot. Now, have you ever seen a a tree that dies? You know, a few months after the tree is all withered up? It takes a little while. This one, Jesus' curse, it withers instantly. But that is an object lesson. This is not him just being hard on fig trees. This is an object lesson. There's symbolism to it. He is saying the time is coming. If you don't bear fruit, you're not going to be around. There's going to come a time. He made us to bear fruit. Now I want to just pause for a second and tell you a quick story. My son Danny, many of you know Danny. He, um, he and Sandra, our daughter-in-law, live up in uh, Washington. And um, he had a situation develop yesterday. He could hardly wait to call us last night. In fact, the two boys got into a little squabble over who was going to talk to us first last night. That's a wonderful thing, by the way. It's a really wonderful thing. So Danny says, I got to tell you what happened. He said, I needed to have... Uh, the phone system and the internet system worked on here at the house because there was a problem, it was upstairs, and needed to be downstairs. And he said the guy could only come between 4 and 6 o'clock. So he said, I had to come home and do some phone calls from home. And he said, the guy comes in and we find that the best place to put this is right in the living room by my chair. And, of course, Danny and Sandra have their Bibles out there because every morning they have their devotions. They come and sit in that area and have their devotions. So this young guy, turns out he's a year older than Danny okay, his age, and there he, he looks down. And he said, hey, are you a Christian? Danny said, well, yeah. What makes you ask? You know, I see Bibles everywhere. Okay, so he started talking, and he said, well, you know, where do you go to church? And so Danny's starting to think, okay, what am I going to say? Because he's been, he's right in between churches right now. He said, well, I go to a church in Canada uh, right across the border called White, it's the White Rock Seventh-day Adventist Church. He said, the guy's eyes got about twice the size they ordinarily had. He said, you're kidding. He said, I used to be a Seventh-day Adventist. And immediately, all the things start to pop in. You know, you can imagine being in that situation. Danny's thinking, divine appointment. What's, What's happening here? And he starts talking. He said, but I fell away from it, and I've been gone forever. And then I married a girl, and she's a member of another denomination. And he said, I've been going to church there. But he said, you know what's really crazy? He said, I went to camp meeting, an Auburn camp meeting, when I was a kid, and it turns out Danny and this kid were at Auburn Camp Meeting at the same time, because we lived there too at that time. What are the chances, okay, 30 years later? And he says, I remember the corn dogs, you know? And he, and he starts talking about all of his memories of being an, a kid as an Adventist, but of course he didn't really fully comprehend. He said, but you know what? He said, and he so Danny, everything's dropped. Forget the telephone installation. They're in full dialogue. And he says, but the one thing, he says, I can't eat pork. I just can't bring myself to eat pork. I'm not an Adventist, I can't bring myself to eat pork. And he goes on, the guy says, well, yeah, my pastor of this church says, well, he showed me the Peter story, and Danny said, well, you want me to show you what that really means? So Danny opened the Bible right there and explained Acts chapter 16, or chapter 11, what is it? Anyway, is it 10? Okay, Acts chapter 10. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's what that's saying. That's not saying all meat is clean. And so they start talking, and he, uh, he wants to know about this. And by, before you know it, they've had major Bible studies on all different topics. And Danny goes up and has, he just happened to have a stay alive set of lessons that I had sent him for another purpose. He brings one out and lays it, he has to go take a phone call. He lays it out for the guy and he says, hey, do you have a card? I'd like to call you and ask you some questions further about this. You know, I said, "Okay, talk about having the fruit laid right in front of you." Amen. You know, um, and God is wanting us to bear fruit to our existence. That's what the deal is with the fig tree. All right, I got to quickly move on. There, the authority is awesome. The parable of the two sons, but I want to get to the parable of the wicked vine dressers. Okay, all of these are in a row right after uh, the triumphal entry. Jesus is saying. Judgment is about to come on you guys, and you don't even realize it. The vine dressers, the story is very, you know, the, the guy that owns the vineyard leases it out to the guys. He sends the servants, they kill the servants, they kill the son. Of course, the servants are the prophets, the son is Jesus Christ. And then he comes and wipes them out. Okay? I want you to realize that. We don't, sometimes we think of a God of love, he would never judge. Oh no. Look at this parable. He says, I'm going to come and destroy those wicked uh, lessees, if you will call it that. He's saying there's a judgment coming here. the Jewish leaders. leaders No. And not only does it say that, if I can find, I'm not not right where I'm at, but he says, and your city is burned. Okay, that's one of the things that gets in here. He's telling them that Jerusalem is going to be burned. That happens in AD 70. These parables, these illustrations are actually prophecies that he's giving. He's trying to warn them, please. But he's telling them there's going to be a judgment. There's going to come a time. That 490 years is almost up. Okay. Okay. Yep. Okay. Superficial, stuff. Soothing. That's, I, I won't add a thing to that. You're right on the nose. And I did not get a chance to get to the wedding garment. Okay? But all four of these or five of these parables immediately following the triumphal entry are all warning of this. And it talks about the guy that comes to the feast... In his own clothes, instead of wearing the garment. God says, out with you. That's righteousness by faith, if there ever was. But I want to close with this. I want you to take away this today. The triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. I want you to think about the triumphal entry of Jesus into your heart. Because that's what he really wants. He wants to come in and be the only thing going in your life. And he will do it if you will just simply let him. Second thing, yes, he cleansed the temple. He cleansed the temple, but you know what? Later in the New Testament, it says, your body is the temple of the living God. And he wants to cleanse your body temple of all sin. He wants, as we talked about this morning in the interview, he wants us to be all in for him. All in. That doesn't leave room for anything else. It's all in for him. And he wants to cleanse his temple that is us. And if there's money changing going on, if there's practices that shouldn't be there, he wants to get rid of that because not one spot or wrinkle. And it's not us, it's him coming in and changing us. Thirdly, he wants us to bear fruit. We're not to be a tree, just have a lot of nice foliage. He wants us to bear fruit. And you know what? In your life this week, you will have opportunity To cultivate a tree, if you look at people being a tree. And you have the opportunity to bear fruit in your own life because Christ is in you. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want you to take these lessons. They're not just stories. There's powerful prophecy and spiritual application in every one of these. I wish I'd had time to go through the whole, uh, all five of them. Let Him have the triumphal entry into your heart. You know? Let Him cleanse your soul temple. He'll do it. won't be harsh. he will be direct. And then bear fruit for Him. That's what He wants us to do. That's why we exist today. And that's my prayer for each of us. Let's pray. Holy God in heaven. We've read Matthew before. We cursely run through it and we see a nice story and we love Jesus and all these things. But deep in these scriptures... There is powerful prophecy and truth and an understanding of the deep character of our God, the character that loves us and brought all the resources of the universe to bear to save us from this cancer of sin. And I pray that today you would make a triumphal entry into every one of our hearts. Lord, right now it's my prayer that everybody here would say, Lord, come in again into my heart. Own it completely. And while you're at it, cleanse the temple that my body represents and my mind represents. And Lord, let me bear fruit. That's my prayer for each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.
8: Uh, I just uh, went online. Snopes. I don't like um, what I call triumphal denominationalism, which hits every church. But that report that we had about revising was on about the About what? Uh, the, re- the thing that was told oh, yeah, this yeah. morning. Real news right now is the website where that's posted. And they have also posted on their website, President Obama stripped Texas of statehood. And President Obama banned the possession of Confederate flags. That was also reported on There's a real thing. And the guy says that's what they call an e-rumor.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I went on, as soon as did? he brought it in and showed it to me, I, my initial reaction was, I'm going to check snow. So I went on, check. I couldn't find anything under the name of that. But I questioned that, too.
8: I typed in, um, what did I type? Revise. I typed in... Uh, did Pope Francis say he's going to revise the Ten Commandments. Yeah. But those who know the inside of the Catholic Church, he doesn't have the power to do that unless he were to come on and speak yeah. ex-Cathedra. Yeah. And otherwise, he has just as an opinion yeah. like everybody else. I was
0: nervous about that when I saw it.
8: Well, it fits into the narrative that the, the Catholic Church is totally messed up, but... Um, and it's a nice, easy fruit to go for. But I just, in the interest well, of clarity, I'm, I'm glad
0: you checked that because I checked. I sat right over here when he gave it to me first, and I said, let me check that. And it didn't show up. I said, well, it's not saying it's phony. No, he but if a it's sermon a... in
8: Ecuador, but he says that people around the world want me to revise Ten Commandments to allow the oh. gay thing. Oh, to he to said they mess. want him to do that. Yeah, that's, that was the full sentence. But just like that interview with Donald Trump that they had where the girl said... Uh, what are you going to do about this in the Second Amendment? And she put in a pause, pause, on the election because the electronics is not playing into this. Yeah, so yeah. the people looked like they had no answer, yeah, but they actually yeah. did have an answer. See,
0: I I, 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 it was not corroborated well enough for me to have presented it. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, I understand that, but I just and thank you for pointing it, I it out. I
8: know that you're a thorough media guy. I am. I you would understand these. I subjects. understand
0: it exactly, and I'm, I, I don't think that that is healthy at this point unless it is prominent and everybody's looking at it, you yeah. know. But I, I was a little uncomfortable with that you too. Know,
8: Understand on, on white and but you know that I was telling something have you ever heard of a guy called Guy Fox? 1637. Every year. Oh in yes, England, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Guy Fox was a Catholic. Was he was a party. Jesuit. Yeah, I know. Whatever, I know what it whatever was. Whatever organization he was packing gunpowder to blow, to up, to blow the up the Parliament. The, the Parliament, not yeah. just the Parliament. The Church of England. The yeah. King. Everybody would just try to kill every Catholic since 15. So after that failure, anything Catholic was going to undermine the king. And we've inherited that in this country because there there was a war for 100 years from 1545 to 1650 when um, the great, uh, what's his name? The guy took over in 1650, the great Puritan leader. um, That war culminated in a whole attitude that you can't trust Catholics. I I don't want to get into the theology.
0: We'll have to talk some more about that yeah, because we'll I have, I the, yeah, something. we'll talk. I want to talk about that specific thing. We'll Guy talk. Fox. Yeah. And more. And more. How are you? How are you? Good to see you. Happy Sabbath to you.
3: Are you going to get moved? Yes, I am. When?
0: Well, we're in the process right now. We tore the floors up on Thursday and we've got all the stuff happening in the next two weeks. Okay. And so by the by the end of the month, for sure, I'll okay. be in the new spot. And you'll be able to stop by and see me. Yeah. No, I,
3: I am the stone.
0: Oh, yes, the stone. I didn't get to the stone. I to say that, oh, I didn't get to the stone.
6: I interrupting. I, I didn't know. get to say what I wanted to say. But after all
3: of that, it talks
0: about the stone. And you, then he says, if you don't fall on the stone, you're done. You'll be. It'll fall on you and crush you. And, it,
3: and it's the judgment.
0: That's right. It's very clear there.
3: And, and he just makes the judgment so clear after yep. the other...
0: They didn't get it. They didn't get it. And Even with prophecy being fulfilled in front of their eyes, they didn't get it. That's
3: right. And the other thing is, if the Pharisees overturned the table, why did they run
0: away? Yeah, I know that's pretty good. Hi, Erlene. How are you? Good. So nice to see you. It's good to see a Texan. Thank you. Thank How are you, you. Doing? I want to know. Oh, I'm
3: doing good. I'm okay. blessed. I'm, God is just good. In such a Praise God. We
0: love right your now. kids here, by the way. Oh,
9: I love being here. I just say, I, I just feel. Praise God.
0: Praise My God. Good.
9: And I want to know where I can get more of those
2: pictures. Just, just recently, I don't remember, wherever, um, I looked all over our church because I was doing something with the children and I wanted that picture. We said, yes, I remember it. We should have one here someplace, but could not find it. So I have a burden for that picture too.
0: Okay. The website is nathangreen.com. This is our 800 number, we're right here in Fallbrook. We're in the middle of moving right now. We're tearing up floors, you'll understand that. We've found a space to move to. We've been trying to find a spot, and we're in, we're in actual uh, TIs right now to get ready to move into it. But we can still do that. If you're interested, we got it from to a dollar postcard to that size. So That one is uh, $3,000 for the picture plus the frame. It's big, the original 125 grand. So it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a bargain. We've we got a smaller. We have a beautiful art print on paper that's $125. So but call, call, and if I'm not there, Beverly will be there. That number. Okay. Good to see you. Blessings. All right. You know, my brother Rob, and, well, you, well you'll be interested. Let me give you a quick update. Patrick is now, um, he's a supervisor in a big um, anesthesia group out of dallas really and doing really well scott. scott has has been one of the first two people in texas to get certified as the crna pain specialist so no he's one. now certified to do the injections of the facet joints and all the specialized Where pain he? stuff he's just signed a contract to do to he's a, he's actually in um, east texas in uh what's the town there in east texas why am i blanking the big one tyler he's in tyler okay. but he's just signed the contract for clifton which is just south of, of yeah. uh king He's going to be their pain in Clifton, and all the medical doctors are saying, "Praise God, we've got somebody can do this instead of having to refer their patients someplace else." Oh, so he's one of the very first God. ones to do a, as a CRNA, be able to do injections. And wow. Rob, Rob is uh, his business is just incredible yeah. in right, nursing. I all know. three of those guys were your students, uh, and they're doing very, I very don't. well.
3: scott I, I, so, I have a special love for. I know. Because it was
0: he can't I, keep going. We're I know.
3: Get him out. I know. Says, no, we can't get him
0: out. <laughs> yeah, I know, well, I'm sure glad you hung in because he's turned out to be outstanding in his field. So, and so he's gonna
3: be in Clifton.
0: Okay. Well he's not moving there. He's gonna live he's gonna live up near my folks in the Keene area because he's gonna be doing a hospital in Clifton and one of Eastland. He's got a second contract going in Eastland. But
3: he's living in Keene.
0: No, he's actually living in Tyler, but he's gonna be living right? in Keene. <clears throat> Cleburne somewhere in there. Okay. Good to see oh, you. Nice I gotta go I'm you interviewing Second Service Okay. Hey there, honey. Jeffrey. We're good. We need prayer. Mm-hmm. Okay, one.
4: Good morning, church family. At this moment, I would like to invite you to stand as we sing our introit, The Glory of the Lord. To begin with, our call to worship—it's on our screen. Oh God, you are our God. Earnestly we seek you today. Our souls thirst for you. Our whole being longs for you.
0: Lord, your love is better than life itself, and we declare that our lips will glorify you.
4: Altogether, we will praise you as long as we live. And in your name, we will lift up our hands to do your work. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity that you give us to worship you on this very special day. We thank you for each person who has come here. And we ask your Holy Spirit to be with each one of them. May all that we do and say bring glory and honor to your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This moment, I'd like to invite Annalise Kuninobu to come and she will be leading us with our praise time this morning.
2: Good morning, church family. Happy Sabbath.
3: Sabbath.
2: Um, Right now, we're going to begin singing, and our first hymn of praise is going to be There's Sunshine in My Soul Today, hymn number 490. And I'd like to invite Everybody I've asked to come up and join me as we sing.